Now, there are times when Hanhogas Hakiyam, or those set of actions which the Rabbanu Shalom implements to bring a tikkun to creation, there are times when Hanhogas Hakiyam demands a short suspension, a temporary suspension of the prescribed pattern of operations in a given koyach. In other words, a short suspension from the normative operational pattern or mode, and instead requires the implementation of a special or, or, or alternative operational pattern or mode in a given koyach, because the tikkun hakloli requires this now. When this occurs, then the Geshem counterpart of the koyach that has switched temporarily from its normal operational pattern to a special operational pattern also changes its being or behavior or interacting behavior to correspond to the alteration and modification of its koyach operations. We then see that we then see this as a ness, a miracle, because the teva or constancy and consistency of physical reality and law is being deviated from. Of course, the one who initiates the action to shift or to shunt the normative operational pattern of a koyach to a special operational pattern of that same koyach is the Rabbanu Shalom, who of course is a subject of the action. Therefore, the Rabbanu Shalom issues, he sends forth a divine hashpor that reveals to the controlling malach the will of God that the operational pattern or mode of a given koyach be changed from the normative one to a special one. The divine Ashpah also conveys greater power than usual, which the Malach then employs to modify the operational pattern of the Koyach from its prescribed normative one <coughs> to the special alternative one. A different pattern of operations among the range of possible operations in the Koyach is activated according to the will of God expressed in the Anhogas Akim. This change <coughs> in the operational pattern of the Koyach reflects itself, of course, in a corresponding change in the Geshem counterpart of the Koyach. This appears to observers as a miracle, a ness. A ness, therefore, and we can define it, a ness, therefore, is nothing more than a deviation from normally experienced physical reality due to a modification in the normative operational pattern or mode of its koyach counterpart. Other possible operational patterns are selected temporarily in this koyach due to the demands of Anhogas Akim, and this is manifested in its Geshem counterpart. Of course, that and we see that there is an alteration in physical reality or natural law of that Geshem counterpart. In other words, we see therefore that Anagas Hakim demands or requires at some times that the normative operational mode or pattern of any given Koyach be changed from the normal one to a special operational pattern. That's what Anhogas Hakim sometimes demands. Therefore, what happens is, the Rabbanu Shalom is mashpia additional power to a malach, 
and he informs the Malach that he wants the Malach now to operate that Koyach not the way it was operating the Koyach previously, but he wants the Malach now to operate the uh, Koyach according to other possible patterns of operation operations. Because it is these special patterns of operations that will now bring the Tikkun HaKloli closer. Therefore, we see this as a remarkable change in physical law. Physical reality changes to accommodate the difference that now occurs, the deviation that now occurs uh, in, uh, in, in uh, the Koichos, uh, which represent physical reality. What is important to note is that there is no more difficulty for the Rabbi Shalom to implement this special operational pattern in the Koyach, thus producing a change in natural law, Anes, or Teva, in other words, to produce a change in natural law, to change Teva, there is no more difficulty for the Rabbi Shalom to implement this special operational pattern in the Koyach than there is to implement a normal, a normative operational pattern in the Koyach, thus producing normative physical reality and natural law, or Teva. There's no difference. God can just as easily produce natural law as unnatural law. God can just as easily deviate from natural law as He produces natural law. It just depends on which particular physical reality he wants now that will bring the Tikkun HaKloli closer. If he wants the normal physical reality we observe, then he tells the Malach to keep on operating or implementing the operations in a Koyach which will, will reflect that normal physical reality. If, however, the Rabbi Hashim decides at, that, at, the, at a point in time that the Tikkun HaKloli, the Tikkun of the Bria, will be better advanced if physical reality changes, then he will command the Malach and give more power through a Divine Hashpah to change the normal oper operational pattern to a special operational pattern, and therefore the Malach then... Uh, employs or utilizes the other possible operations within the range of possible operations in any given koyach. Now it just so happens that because of Anogas Akiyam, physical reality and natural law is what we experience constantly and consistently. Consistently. Because it is this particular set of physical reality and natural law that will best achieve the Tikkun of creation. What we should be impressed by in a Ness, and this is an interesting idea, what we should be impressed by in a Ness, a miracle, is not the altered physical phenomenon itself, but rather the fact that the Rabbanu Shalom is in fact modifying or changing the status quo of physical reality, from constancy and consistency to deviation and alteration. For instance, in Kriyas Yamsuf, the splitting of the Red Sea that occurred to Jews when they left Egypt. In Kriyas Yamsuf, for example, the Rabbanu Shalom merely shunted the normal operational pattern of the Koyach counterpart of the sea, which results in water flowing upon the earth, 
to a special temporary operational pattern among the range of possible operational patterns of the koyach of the sea to yield the physical phenomena of the sea splitting. The fact that the sea split isn't so impressive for, for, that, for what could have been is that the sea's normal physical functioning could have been splitting had Anogas Akim demanded it. But what is so, I know, it's the fact that the sea split isn't so impressive because that itself could have been the sea's normal physical functioning had, had Hanogus Akim demanded it. But rather the change from Teva to Ness, from constancy and consistency to alteration and modification, is what is so remarkable and unusual. And this remark, this statement itself, is remarkable and unusual. That it is not the actual Ness, the actual alteration, the actual physical phenomenon itself that is altered, that is so impressive. But it is rather the fact that the Rebbe altered and modified physical reality to accommodate Hanhogus Akim. That is what is remarkable. So the fact that the sea split when the Jews went out of Egypt itself isn't so remarkable because it is very possible that a sea splitting constantly could have been the normal Teva had Hanhogus Akim demanded that as the normal physical phenomena of seas. But what is so remarkable, rather, is the fact that the Rebbeinu decided to alter or modify physical reality at that time. And of course he did so by commanding the Malach in charge of the sea to implement a different pattern of operations that the Koyach of the sea contained potentially. That is how he did it. And of course, the Malach then uh, carried out the word of God, and of course, that is why the sea split. Now, there are times when Hanhogas Hamishpat, those acts of God, or those particular set of acts of God, which are in consequence of man's acts, to either reward or punish man, there are times when Hanhogas Hamishpat demands that a miracle or a ness occurs. A person's schus or merit may be at times so great that he is worthy of God's altering natural physical phenomena for his sake. But even here, the nest must advance the tikkun of the Bria in order to be done. For instance, we see by Avram in the furnace, when he was thrown in the furnace by Nimrod, we see that the, uh, the, a miracle occurred that Avram was saved. But what that really means is that, or rather the schus, what was the merit that Avram had, is that he gave up his life for belief in God. Now that was a great schus. But the miracle happened not so much because of the merit or schus of Avram, that he gave up his life for God, or he was willing to give up his life for God, but rather the, the miracle occurred because it was necessary for Avram to father a nation. Therefore, Anhogas Hakim demanded that a miracle occur because of the merit of Avram. Because that miracle would ensure Hanhogas Hakim, that the world would reach its ultimate uh, purpose. The same thing with the Esamachus, the uh, ten plagues that occurred in Egypt. The schus of the Jews, of course, is that they suffered in Egypt for, of course, 210 years, and they removed the Zoyama, the influence 
of Tumah, of the Sitra Akhra, of evil, from the Bria, from creation. That was their schos. But it was necessary that these ten miracles or ten plagues happen, and they were all, of course, miracles, because it was necessary for the Jews to receive Torah at Sinai, and as a result to be Masak in creation. Therefore, Anhogas Hakim demanded that Jews be saved from Egypt, and it demanded that the Rebbein Shalom implement, of course, an alteration in physical reality, and that resulted in the ten plagues. Now that we understand exactly what Teva is, what natural law is, or what natural physical phenomena is, also, now that we understand what a Ness is, a miracle is, we can now readily understand how Shinoi Teva, how white magic or deviation from natural law is performed and why it works. Man can manipulate through free will the physical world in a natural fashion by interacting with the entities of this world. However, when manipulating the physical world in this particular manner, he must conform against his will to the physical limitations and boundaries imposed upon him by physical law. He can never violate or alter in any way or modify physical law unless that physical modification that he achieves is part of that physical law itself and therefore permits naturally such an alteration and change. Thus, if a man wishes to cut an object, he must utilize a device that can cut, for instance, a knife or a saw. There is absolutely no other way physically that objects can be cut. There is, however, another way that man can manipulate the physical world without interacting at all with the physical world and therefore not being subject to the limitations and boundaries of physical reality. Man can engage not the physical world, but rather the spiritual world, and via this dimension achieve many desires that would be denied him if he attempted to utilize the physical dimension. How is this done? How is it possible for a man to actually manipulate the physical world toward his desired ends without interacting with physical entities? Well, this is the concept of magic or shinui teva, alteration or deviation of natural law. There are certain particular shemois, names of God, that if one meditates upon them, in other words, he super-focuses his awareness on the object of meditation, namely a name of God. And we know what that is, that he has super-focused awareness without any bodily or sensory sensations present in the mind, and also that he has excluded all extraneous mental inputs such as thoughts, images, or feelings. When an individual meditates on a particular Shem or name of God, then one causes the Rabbani Shalom to issue or send forth a divine Hashpah, a spiritual causative entity or influence which is directly linked and represented by that particular shame, name of God, that one is meditating upon. 
what the Rabbanu Shem does is after the, the person meditates on the Shem, the Rabbanu Shem issues or sends forth a divine Hashpah, which of course is linked to that Shem. And this Hashpah directs a Malach, an angel, who controls or is in charge of a particular Koyach to switch the normal, normative operational mode or pattern of that Koyach to a special operational pattern among the range of possible operational uh, possible operations available to that koyach, the hashpor from the rabbanu shlom supplies the malach with additional power with which to perform the change. In other words, malachim normally have sufficient power to operate their assigned koyach in the prescribed normative pattern of operations in order to bring about specific physical phenomena demanded by an Hagasakim. Through meditating on particular Shemus, however, the Rebbeinu Shlom voluntarily sends forth a Hashpor that gives a Malach operating a particular Koyach additional power. And this Malach must use, must then use this additional power to switch the operational pattern from the normal one to a special alternate one in the Koyach, under his charge. The Malach must activate the special operational pattern sought by the meditator. Thus the Rabbani Shlom gives the additional power and the directive to shunt the operational pattern from normal to special, whereas the meditator selects the actual special operational pattern he wishes. Thus the Malach must use the additional power given to him from the Ashpah of the Rabbani Shlom in the direction of one who meditated upon various Shemus. In other words, if somebody meditates on a particular name of God, the Rabbani Shlom then sends forth a divine Ashpah which tells the Malach that he must now implement not the normative operational pattern of the Koyach, but he must implement, implement a special operational pattern. And the Rabbani Shalom, through this Hashpah, gives additional power to this Malach to perform this function. But the Rabbani Shalom gives power to this Malach and tells this Malach that he must shunt the operation of this Koyach from normal, normal to special, but it is the individual that actually selects the, um, the uh, special operational mode or pattern that is actually implemented in the Koyach. Now the result of this process is that there is a corresponding change or alteration in natural law and physical reality of the Geshem counterpart of the Koyach affected. Thus, a person can influence and actually induce modifications in the physical world without interacting in any physical manner. This, of course, is true magic, whereby one can manipulate the physical world without going through normally required physical means. 
We see therefore that magic or magic or Shinoi Teva employs the same mechanism and process as a Ness. Both involve essentially <clears throat> the modification and alteration of the normative prescribed operational pattern of any given Koyach to a special operational pattern among the range of possible operations available to that Koyach because of its inherent nature. That is one thing that they share in common, Ness and Shinri Teva. Also what they share in common is that both therefore result in a deviation of physical phenomena and natural law. Both also result from the additional power given to the controlling Malach of a given Koyach by a divine Ashpor of the Rabbanishlam, which he, the Malach, must use to alter the operational pattern of the Koyach under his charge. The real difference between them, in other words, the real difference between Ness, miracle, and Shinoi Teva, magic or alteration of natural law, is that by a Ness, the initiator of the action, the divine Ashpor, that is, is God himself. In other words, we are witnessing, in terms of a Ness, an Isarus Dili Elo, and Ashpor is Milmailulamato. In other words, by Ness, God initiates the action of the divine Ashpor, and that is an Isarus Dili Elo. God initiates the action where the divine Ashpor gives power to the Malach and directs the Malach to uh, shunt the normal operative. Um, pattern to a special operative pattern. The Rabbanishlam initiates this. Whereas by Shinoi Teva or magic, white magic, the initiator of the action, which of course is the divine Ashpor of God, is an individual meditating upon particular Shemus that causes God to issue forth a divine Ashpor, which then begins the same sequence as that found by a Ness or Miracle. So we see, therefore, that Ness, the sequence or process or mechanism that we encounter by Ness is the exact same sequence, process or mechanism that we encounter by Shinoi Teva or magic. The only difference between both of them is that by Ness, God initiates the Hashpah, which ultimately yields an alteration in physical or natural law, and that by Shinoi Teva, man by meditating on Hashem, initiates the Hashpor, which ultimately uh, 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 creates a change in natural law. The mechanism, the sequence, the process is the exact same thing. The question is, who is initiating this entire sequence of events? If it is man, Isarusa Dilatato, then we call it Shinoi Teva or magic. If it is God, is Arusa Delielo, then we see a Hashpo Milamailulamato, and we of course call it a Ness or a miracle. It is important to note that the Shem itself does not cause God to do anything against his will. In other words, the fact that a man meditates on a name of God does not cause God to do anything, and he certainly doesn't do it against his will. Rather, the Rabbanishlam ordained, and this is his wish, his rotsen, that if one meditates upon Shemus, particular names of God, 
in a prescribed, correct, and precise manner, then he, God, will voluntarily send forth a divine hashpah corresponding to that particular Shem or name of God that is meditated upon by the individual. That is what the Rabbanu Shalom ordained. Thus we see that the Rabbanu Shalom gave man the ability to manipulate creation in a spiritual manner. In other words, where man interacts with the spiritual universe via meditation upon a particular name, name of God. Just as he gave him the ability and power to do so in a physical and natural manner. The two are the same, however, in that man cannot use either the spiritual or physical method to do absolutely anything he wishes, but rather is actually restricted by the particular limitations and boundaries of both processes. And that's an important idea, that in even Shinoi Teva, even if you can get the Malach to implement a different, a special operational pattern, it doesn't mean that the Malach will do everything you want it to do. Even the process of magic has limitations. The manner in which man manipulates things in a natural manner is thus limited by the laws of natural phenomena and the properties of matter. The same is also true of man's manipulation of things in a spiritual manner. He can, all, he can only do so within the defined limits and parameters and through the specific procedures assigned to this spiritual phenomena, namely magic or shinui teva. Again, Neither of these procedures can be used in any way one wishes. They are both circumscribed by limitations and conditions as well as the extent and manner in which they can successfully be used. Sometimes in magic, the result itself is impossible, even if the method or procedure is correctly performed, because the individual is up against the limitations or restrictions or parameters that magic has. And therefore, he cannot implement magic even though he performs the correct procedure. So we see, therefore, that in order for a person to perform Shinoi Teva or magic, he has to subscribe to a precise, correct procedure and it will only work within specific limitations or boundaries. You cannot do whatever you want to do, even if you are employing the specific spiritual phenomena of magic. Just like you cannot do what you want to do, even if you are intervening or interacting with the physical world. You are restricted by physical laws. It's true in both cases. So just like if you want to cut something, you must use a cutting device. The same thing if you want to get something, for instance, to levitate in midair. You must perform a specific procedure, and you have to hope that levitation in midair will be possible via that procedure. For instance, if you want to take the universe and take the sun and change its course, then no magic will help you because there is no a there is no koyach that will listen to a malach trying to implement uh, that particular phenomena. In other words, 
to alter the course of the sun doesn't seem possible within the realms of man. It is possible to be performed, but only within the realm of God. We see that the Rebbe stopped the sun from setting by the time from Yahushua and so on. In other words, there is such a possibility, but it does not mean that man can duplicate Ness all the time. We cannot always perform the same ability. We cannot always change natural law the way the Rebbe does it. He can do whatever he wants. We can only do, if we use these procedures of magic, we can only perform certain deviations of the physical universe. A person meditating on Hashem and therefore correctly employing the device of, of, of magic uh, cannot do what he wants. He is limited and restricted to what the outcome uh, the desired outcome can be. Now, the phenomenon of magic in reality really involves the coercion of angels through meditating upon names of God. And that, of course, is not, al is not always the best thing to engage in. Because remember, when you meditate a upon a Shem of God and God directs a divine Ashpah toward that particular Malach, you are really coercing that Malach to do what you want to do because he will change the operation of the Koyach in the direction that you want him to. Now coercing angels of course is not always the best thing because if you are not worthy of this particular um, a phenomena, if you do not merit, you, if you are not worthy to perform magic, then you are in a lot of trouble because then malochim or angels will go after you uh, to try to bring you down. And there have been stories in previous history where people have tried magic or shinui teva in various ways and they have ultimately fallen because in some manner they were not worthy to perform this. Now, as I said, the phenomenon of magic in reality really involves the coercion of angels through meditating upon names of God. This causes them to function, of course, in a supernatural and extraordinary manner, even if it be in their usual sphere of activity, namely controlling a particular koyach. It is important to note that even if one performs the correct and proper procedure to achieve magical outcomes, the Rebunishim can prevent this. He can prevent this, the magical outcomes from occurring if he sees this as interfering with the Tikkun HaKloli. So even if he use the correct procedure, it does not always mean that the Rebunishim will go along with it. If what you are trying to do is contrary or in opposition to Tikkun HaKloli, then your procedure will be neutralized. You will not be able to perform that procedure, or even if you do, nothing will happen. And that's an important idea to understand. That magic itself, whether it works or not, is determined by Anhogas Hakim. That if Anhogas Hakim decides that what you are trying to do will destroy Tikkun or rather 
prevent different aspects of Tikkun HaKloli from transpiring, then you will not be able to perform your magic uh, tricks. You will not be able to uh, achieve magic outcomes. So we see, therefore, that even if you perform the correct procedure, it doesn't always mean that they will work. It has to be in conformity with Anahogas Akiyam. Now, these shamus and the procedures relevant to them are found in various Kabbalistic texts, such as the Sefer Raziel HaMalach, Sefer Yetzira, etc. There are different Kabbalistic texts that deals with what shamus should be meditated upon and what is the procedure, of course, for getting the Rabbanu Shalom to invoke specific hashpos. It contains names of angels, names of malochim, the angels that are assigned over different kuchas, which angels are assigned over different physical phenomena, and so on. You have from that talk about it. But like I say, you have to be very careful. It should be stated that even though these procedures and resulting phenomena are generally permitted, it is obvious that it is not appropriate or proper for an ordinary common man to make use of them. Chazal thus say in, in Pirkei Ovis that he who makes use of the crown will pass away. And the crown refers, of course, to the hashpos or the divine hashpos or influences of God. In other words, he who makes use of the crown, the names of God, to invoke the hashpos of God will pass away. Things such as magic, things such as these are only permitted to holy individuals, individuals who are true Kedoshim and Sadiqim, who are close to Rabban Shalom, who are attached to God and who obey the will of God. And you should know even these individuals furthermore only use these procedures to sanctify God's name and to do his rotsen. In other words, they themselves will only use or employ these procedures which can bring about shinoi teva or magical outcomes because they need them towards serving God or doing something that will advance the tikkun. That is the only reason why they use them. They don't use them at any other time. Now, even an unworthy person may not be prevented from attaining results, magical outcomes, if he follows the proper procedures. But even if that unworthy person is successful in attaining those results, he can still be punished for engaging in these areas. So even though I have explained the concepts of Teva, the concepts of the dyadic structure of physical reality, the concepts of, of course, Ness, Shinoi Teva, um, one has to be careful, of course, about delving into this area because, uh, as I had mentioned, there are many incidents where people have and they, of course, have been punished severely for assuming the mantle of God's power. And therefore, uh, of course, uh, I have presented it merely as part of the theoretical knowledge and understanding of what spiritual phenomena can be achieved through the act or through the procedure of meditation. Now, I had mentioned previously that the only ones who should use the mechanism 
or the device of Shinui Teva, magic or alteration of natural law, should be Kedeshim and Sadikim, <coughs> because when they use it, they use it only in the service of the Rabbanisham to fulfill his will. A classic case of such an instance is by Moshe Rabbeinu when he was in Egypt and he encountered the Egyptian beating a Jew. And uh, he uttered a shame, he meditated upon a shame, and of course the mitri died. Now Moshe Rabbeinu employed the same idea, the same device, and that is that he employed the use of a shem, and what this did of course is that the Rabbanishlam invoked the hashpah, a divine influence, as a result of the shem which Moshe Rabbeinu uttered or meditated upon, and of course this sent a directive to the malach who was in charge of the koyach that was the counterpart of this Egyptian, and of course the malach extinguished the life of this Egyptian by manipulating or causing an operation in the Egyptian's koyach in such an area where it would terminate the Egyptian's life. That is really the way Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, <coughs> this is the device that he used, and this is a further example of the concept of Shinui Teva, or white magic, which was employed in the service of Sadiqim. And of course he used this in order that the Egyptian should not, of course, kill the Jew. Now let us go further. We saw previously that as regards the spiritual phenomenon or experience of Nevoah and Ruach HaKodesh, prophecy and divine inspiration, or the Holy Spirit, since the result or the outcome of the procedure of meditation upon various shamus or names of God was attachment to either the Shekhinah or a spiritual, or either the Shekhinah or divine presence, or a spiritual being, then it was necessary for the meditator to engage strenuously in the avoidor, in the task of precious, which of course is, the, is a detachment state. It is detachment from Geshem or materialism. These are the avoidists which I had mentioned previously that are the prerequisite condition for the meditator to have succeeded in in order to bring about the spiritual phenomena of Ruach HaKodesh and Nevoah. And I had mentioned previously that there were four states that the meditator had to achieve prerequisite to the employment of the procedure of meditation. Now, one of these was called precious. In other words, that the meditator had to engage uh, in the avoid or the task of precious, precious, which is a detachment state, detachment that is from Geshem materialism. Now, the second avoid which was necessary for the meditator to engage in strenuously in order for him to experience the phenomena of Nevoah and Ruch Kodesh was the avoid of Tahara, or purity, the purity state. And of course, that means purity from the spiritual entity called Tumah. And we know that Tumah is a spiritual entity that resides uh, in a spiritual plane. In any case, that was the second avoid that the meditator had to engage in in order to uh, experience the spiritual phenomena of Ruach HaKodesh and Nevoah. Now, the third avoid that the meditator had to engage in is the avoid of Nekius, which is the untainted state. In other words, untainted from Chet or Sin. And the fourth state Avoider of the meditator, the fourth task of the meditator was the state of Kedusha, the holiness state, which of course was achieved by strict, 
strict performance of all the mitzvahs and study of Torah. In other words, the complete adherence to the will of God by the individuals that want to achieve nevuah and Ruach HaKodesh. In any case, uh, the meditator had to engage in all four avoidus, all four tasks, precious, tahara, nikius, and kedusha, in order to achieve the necessary state of prophecy and Ruach HaKodesh. Now, these four avidus, or tasks, were prerequisite conditions that had to be fulfilled even before one engaged in, in the performance of the meditative device or method, which was the procedure to achieve these two spiritual experiences, namely Nevoah prophecy and Ruch HaKodesh, which is divine inspiration. To the exact degree that an individual had labored and achieved the accomplishment of the four tasks, to that extent, he or his nefesh yoyna would be attached either to the Shekhinah or the Divine Presence or the glory of God, the Divine Glory of God, the Kvod Hashem, in the experience of Nevoah, and also to a spiritual entity in the experience of Ruch HaKodesh. In other words, to the extent that a person labored and achieved accomplishment and perfection in these four areas, detachment from materialism, purity from tumor, uh, untaintedness from sin and uh, holiness, to that extent that he achieved these accomplishments, to that, to that extent he would have achieved also tremendous attachment to the Rabbani Shalom. And thereby he would be able to attain the spiritual states of Nevoah, prophecy, and Ruch HaKodesh, divine inspiration. Now, this was not the case in a spiritual phenomenon or event called Shinui Teva, or alteration of physical reality, or white magic. It was not necessary at all for the meditator to engage in these four tasks, Precious, Tahara, Nikius, and Kedusha, in order to achieve the spiritual phenomena of magic, since at no time during the actual experience of Shinuiteva or of meditation was the meditator in any kind of attachment state to either the Rabbani Shlalom, his Shechino or his divine glory, as was in the case of prophecy, or to any other spiritual entity as was the case in Ruch HaKodesh. In other words, in Shinui Teva, the individual who was meditating was not attached in any way to either the divine Shechina or to any spiritual entity, which we find by the phenomena of prophecy and the phenomena of Ruch HaKodesh. These Shemus, if meditated upon, have been given the unique power to be able to coerce specific angels or malachim, and they, rather these shemois or names of God, are therefore like any other natural tool or instrument that can be used by anyone who so desires to use it. Thus the spiritual phenomenon of Shinoi Teva or magic has no specific prerequisite conditions that must be met in order for the phenomena to be achieved. The only condition that the meditator had to fulfill is that he follow the proper procedure when making use of this method. In other words, merely the precise execution 
of the procedure was all that was necessary to attain the spiritual phenomena of Shinoi Teva or magic. In other words, we see that in order to attain the spiritual states of prophecy and Ruach HaKodesh, one had to engage in these four avoidas because the essence of the state of prophecy and Ruach HaKodesh was the attachment that an individual achieved to the Shekhinah or to a spiritual entity. And with this attachment, he then could achieve, of course, spiritual enlightenment, knowledge, and other phenomena. But the phenomena of Shinoi Teva did not at all involve the attachment of any spiritual entity toward the meditator. Therefore, it was necessary for that individual to engage in any of the tasks that was necessary for the attainment of Ruach HaKodesh and Nevoah. He did not have to engage in these four tasks because he was not becoming attached to any spiritual entity. Therefore, he didn't have to engage in those tasks which would remove impediments toward attachment of a spiritual entity to his Nefesh Yaina. Therefore, he did not have to engage in those tasks. Uh, as regards Shinoi Teva or magic. What he would merely do is meditate on specific Shemois or names of God. And these would of course have the power to direct Malochim to change of course the normal operational pattern to, spe to a special operational pattern. Merely the engagement in the procedure of meditation on these Shemois was sufficient in order for the Rebbe Shalom to send out a hashpah, which of course would issue a directive to a malach to divert or to shunt the normal operational pattern of a given koyach to a special operational pattern of that given koyach. Merely the procedure of meditation was sufficient. A person did not have to engage in any kind of uh, uh, service or working on these four particular tasks. Now, previously, <clears throat> I had mentioned that we can understand spiritual phenomena or events or experiences in terms of their sequence. And I had mentioned that there are four, uh, four stages or four elements. The first stage is called the procedure. The second element is called the results of the procedure. The third element, of course, is the ultimate consequences of the procedure. And the fourth element was the conditions that had to be fulfilled. And there were two kinds, prerequisite conditions that had to be fulfilled for the spiritual phenomena to be achieved, and procedural conditions that had to be filled for the phenomena to be achieved. And that's the way I want to summarize the third uh, spiritual phenomena called Shinoi Teva, or magic. Now, therefore, in summary, what was the procedure of Shinoi Teva? And the answer to that is that it is the meditative method or the or device upon a particular Shem. And that Shem or name of God is the Kabbalistic instrument that was employed, that was the object of super-focused awareness. Now this was the procedure to achieve, of course, Shinoi Teva or magic. What was the result of the procedure? The result of the procedure was that the Rebbeinu Shlolem issues a divine influence or hashpah that conveys two things. One is that it conveys the will of God, and that will is that the, uh, to shunt the normative operational pattern of a given koyach to a special operational pattern, 
um, of that given koyach, of course of the range of possible operations available to that koyach. This was the first aspect of the will of God that was included or conveyed in Ashpor. And the second aspect that was conveyed in Ashpor, of course, was that it contained the power to accomplish this order or command. Now, as part of the results of the procedure, this hashpor or divine influence was directed or transmitted to that particular malach in charge of the koyach or transcendental force that was the subject of the divine command. The malach then was coerced and compelled to utilize this additional power contained in the divine hashpor to implement that special operational pattern that the meditator desired. Now, this was the result of the procedure, that there was an additional power given to the Malach due to a divine Ashpah, and the Malach used this additional power, of course, to change the normative operational pattern of the Koyach to a special operational pattern of that Koyach. Now, the ultimate consequence, of course, of the procedure is that there was a corresponding alteration of natural law or physical phenomena, and we call this magic or shinui teva. And of course, this alteration of natural law or physical phenomena could be anything. It could be, of course, anti-gravity. It could be where something appears out of nowhere. It could be where uh, something changes the form of an entity or an object to another form. For instance, changing a bottle into a, uh, a rabbit or whatever. The physical phenomena that could be achieved or the alteration of phys physical phenomena that could be achieved through Shinoi Teva or magic didn't make a difference. The main concept was, of course, is that it would only be achieved if its corresponding koyach, if the operational uh, prescribed operational pattern, of course, was changed from the normal to the special by the Malach in control of that Koyach as a result of the Divine Ashpah issued by the Rabbani Shlom, which of course uh, began in the first place because of the meditation of a Shem by a particular meditator. Now, the fourth idea or the fourth element in the sequence to achieve the spiritual phenomena of course is the conditions to be fulfilled and we know that there are two kinds of conditions one is prerequisite conditions and the second is procedural conditions now in terms of prerequisite conditions of Shinui Teva there are no prerequisite conditions to be met at all as I had mentioned because in Shinui Teva one did not become attached to any spiritual entity at all, or to the Rebbein Shalom, or to a Shechino, or to his divine glory. Therefore, it was not necessary to engage in an Avoida, in a task that, of course, would remove impediments toward spiritual attachments. Therefore, there is no, there was no procedural conditions that were necessary, I, I should say there were no prerequisite conditions that were necessary in order for one to achieve the spiritual phenomena of Shinoi Teva, or magic. However, there was procedural conditions that were necessary and that is the precise execution of the concept uh, or rather the precise execution of the correct procedure uh, and of course this was the only condition that was necessary for the attainment of Shinui Teva or magic. This then is a summary of the third spiritual phenomena that could be achieved through the meditative device or method. 
So we see therefore basically what Shinoi Teva was, that it was a spiritual phenomena, and it of course involved uh, alterations in the operations of a koyach from its normal state to a special state. And of course uh, the entire sequence began because an individual used the meditative device and he meditated upon a particular Shem in order of course to um, uh, activate or to invoke a divine hashpo as a result of that meditation upon that Shem. We now come to the fourth and last spiritual phenomenon or experience that can be achieved through the meditative method or device that I will be discussing. Now, this spiritual phenomenon was a consequence to the procedure of meditation. This spiritual phenomenon is called Kishof, or black magic, or sorcery, and was without question forbidden to be employed by anyone whatsoever uh, for reasons which we shall see. Now, in order to understand how sorcery or Kishof worked, it is necessary to give a a short uh, introduction in order to introduce certain concepts and once we understand those concepts then you will clearly see what exactly sorcery is not only that but you will see the exact relationship that sorcery uh, maintains to miracle or ness and to shinoi teva or magic now the rabbinism created many concepts and levels of holiness or good he also created at the same time numerous concepts and levels of spiritual impurity and evil. Now the holiness and good concepts of course are Kedusha and Toiv, and the uh, spiritual impurity and evil concepts are called Tumah and of course or Ruchis Tumais and of course evil, Kuchis Ra. Now Corresponding to every concept, area, and level of holiness, or kedusha and good, toiv, there is also an equal and opposite concept, area, and, le and level of spiritual impurity and evil. This is to provide man with equal alternatives or choices of direction that he may freely pursue. Thus it says in Kohelis, Gam The Rabbani Shalom has made one opposite the other. In other words, every good and matter of holiness was arranged to have its counterpart in evil and spiritual impurity. And this is a very important idea that in every way that we can understand good and holiness, in that exact same way, there is a counterpart in evil and spiritual impurity. And this was, is what the Rabbani Shalom desired. And he made this so that if somebody wants to have access to holiness, then he, he could have access to all the different levels and degrees and areas of holiness. And if somebody wants to have access to evil, he could have access to evil again to the areas and levels that he would desire in the exact same way that he could have access to the areas and levels of holiness in other words it's up to you but if you want to choose either good or evil you can acquire the exact same level and degrees in either area now what is man's task man's task therefore is to simply choose the good 
and reject the evil. Man's task is avoider. The purpose of man is to reject the influence and effect of evil in every possible manner and on all levels until both the producer of evil and Toma, which of course is the angel Samuel, or as he is also called Satan, or as he is also called Yetzirah, or as he is also called Malchamovus, the idea is that man's task is to reject the influence and evil or, or and the effect of evil in every possible manner and on all levels until both the producer of evil and all aspects of evil and Tumor, spiritual impurity, is completely obliterated and eradicated from all creation. Now, just as an aside, Samuel is the name of the angel that is in control of all the forces of evil. And he is also known by three other names, the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, the uh, Satan, the adversary or prosecutor, and the Malchamovas, the angel of death. And the reason why he has three other names is because he also has three different functions. The first function is that he tries to tempt man to get him to sin, to induce or seduce man to sin. The second, in that capacity, he is called the Eight Sahara. The second function of the Samuel is to prosecute an individual if he has sinned. And to that extent, to that function, the Samuel is called the Sutton or the prosecutor. And the third function of Samuel is the Malchamavas, whereby if a person sins and he is successfully judged to be guilty of some kind of punishment, then the one who executes the punishment, of course, is the Malchamavas, the angel of death, or Samuel in his function or in his role as uh, the angel of death. <clears throat> and that is why the Malchamavas, or rather the Sultan, or rather the Sahara. That is why Samuel is called all three names because they describe and indicate the three different roles of Samuel. Now, as I said, the task of an individual is to completely eradicate, destroy, annihilate, and obliterate Samuel himself and also the influence of Samuel throughout all creation. Man must remove evil and tumult from his own essence as well as from creation in general. In doing so, he would permanently establish holiness or Kedusha and good or toiv both in himself and in the universe as a whole forever. It is the Rabbanishlam's will that evil be annihilated from creation. That is the will of God and really that's the, that's the reason why evil was created in the first place. That man may annihilate evil from creation. It is the purpose of evil to function only during the period of man's strivings, his avodah, his task in ilm hazeh, and not thereafter in ilm habor. Evil has a short and temporary existence, and it is man's purpose, of course, to eradicate evil. And in order to make sure that evil will be eradicated, the Rabbanu Shalom, of course, institutes the Anhogas HaYichud. And, of course, part of the uh, idea or the goal of Anhogas HaYichud is to eradicate evil in, uh, through the instrumentality of man and thereby bring a Tikkun HaKloli, a general correction or modification or rectification to all creation.
In other words, Tikkun HaKloli includes the concept of the eradication of evil, just as it includes the concept of the Gili Yehudoi, the ultimate revelation of God's oneness and the perception of that oneness throughout all creation. Now, as an outcome of this exact counterpart that good has with evil, therefore, just as one can attach himself to spiritual entities and thereby receive knowledge and enlightenment and information in a supernatural manner by the procedure of meditation upon particular shamus, so also one can attach himself to the forces of evil, to the kuchus hara, the sitra akra, which means the other side, which means, of course, the forces of evil, because they are the other side of holiness. In other words, just as a person can, of course, uh, experience certain phenomena as a result of, a, or through a spiritual, a supernatural manner, by the procedure of meditation upon particular shamans, so also can one attach himself to the forces of evil, the sitra akra, and thereby receive knowledge and uh, information and enlightenment in a supernatural manner, by the procedure of meditation upon particular shamans of impure evil entities that belong to the sitra akra. Now, these shemas are called incantations or shemas tumas. Thus, just as man can receive holiness and knowledge and enlightenment and divine inspiration in a manner that transcends his physical nature and physical reality, through the use of holy names, shemas kedeshim, as a result of this exact balance, it must also be possible for man to be able to receive knowledge, information, enlightenment, and unholiness, pollution, tumor, through a manner that also transcends the laws of physical reality. Thus, the phenomena of spiritual attachment can be found for the side of holiness, sitra de kedusha, the side of holiness, as well as for the side of Tumor, the Sitra Akhra, the other side. In addition, the resulting experiences of this attachment, uh, fr from this uh, spiritual attachment, namely knowledge, enlightenment, and spiritual influence, can be found for the Sitra Tikdusha, the side of holiness, as well as for the Sitra Akhra, the side, of course, the other side, the side of uh, impurity and, of course, Tumor. In the former case, in the Sitra to Kedusha, the spiritual influence, of course, is holiness or Kedusha. And in the latter case, the Sitra Akhra, the spiritual influence is pollution, impurity, or Tumor. Both these opposite spiritual experiences are achieved through the meditation on various Shemus. We see, therefore, that a man can achieve Dvekas, or attachment, or clinging to the Sitra Akhra, the side of unholiness, and impurity, tumor, just as he can achieve dvekas attachment or clinging to the Rabbani Shlom and his Holy Spirits. Thus the balance is totally equal but opposite. In other words, we see therefore that in terms of the Sitrik Dikdusha, the side of holiness, an individual can achieve through the procedure of meditation on Shemus, names of God. He can achieve attachment to spiritual entities, he can achieve <clears throat> knowledge, information, and enlightenment that results from that attachment. 
And of course, from the attachment, he receives also holiness. Now, to equalize that exact phenomena, a person can achieve the same ideas and concepts, of course, in the Sitra, the Akhra, or the side of impurity, or unholiness, or pollution. He can become attached to the Sitra Akhra via the procedure of Shemois, Tumois, which are called incantations, and this results in spiritual attachments to the Sitra Akhra. And of course, what, this, what then happens is that there is a resulting experience of knowledge, enlightenment, and information from the spiritual attachment to the Sitra Akhra. And of course, there is an enormous amount of pollution and tumor that the individual receives because he, had, he is attached to the Sitra Akhra or to the Satan himself. Now, included in the knowledge that can be attained through attachment to the Sitra Akhra is information of secret matters not known to people. In other words, where something is, let's say you're trying to find something. So you can attain knowledge or information of where something is located, and people will not know where this is located. But you can find out through, of course, uh, uh, this, this procedure. Another thing you can, uh, of course, attain through this procedure, because of the attachment that you have to the Sitra Akhra, of course, perhaps is how to achieve wealth and power. And there are certain ways that you can achieve this, of course, by the knowledge which is granted to you as a result of the attachment to the Sitra Akhra, which you achieve because of the procedure of meditating on specific incantations or shameless tumor. Now, <clears throat> Also included in the knowledge that you can be attained through the attachment to the Sitra Akhra is knowledge of future events. Now, of course, this is the same kind of knowledge that can be achieved through prophecy and Ruach HaKadosh. Again, you see that the balance is always equal but opposite. What you can achieve with the Sitra de Kedusha through prophecy and Ruach HaKadosh, you can also achieve through Sitra Akhra by attaching yourself to the Sitra Akhra through meditating on incantations you can achieve the same results now there is something however that I must say when a person engages on this path of achieving spiritual phenomena through attachment to the Sitra Akhra in effect he is giving the Sitra Akhra almost unlimited control and power on his soul or Nefesh That is the price you pay for engaging the Sitra Akhra. Thus, he ultimately is completely destroyed because that is always the outcome of anyone who associates himself in a strong degree with the Sitra Akhra, with the Satan or Samuel. The Satan's desire is really the annihilation of all mankind. And this desire is not mitigated or removed just because one wishes to attach himself to the Satan. One cannot bribe or deter the Satan from his totally evil designs just because one decides to associate and thereby show loyalty and honor to the Satan. The more one engages in the performance of this procedure and thereby attains attachment to the Sitra Akhra with resulting tumor and knowledge, the more he imperils his Nefesh to total destruction or Ibud. And that is really what happens to all these people that engage 
in, uh, of course, uh, meditating on incantations and trying to attain spiritual phenomena as a result of the attachment that you attain to the Sitra Akhra. Ultimately, he winds up destroying you because that is his designs on all mankind. And just because you show him honor and loyalty by uh, meditating on Shema's attached to the Sitra Akhra, that doesn't mean that he's not interested in destroying you. On the contrary, he will use that very vehicle of becoming attached to you to destroy you ultimately because he will infuse you with the Zoyhamo, pollution and tumor which you'll never get rid of because he is attached to you. Now it is interesting but uh, there was a story, a short story by Stephen Vincent Benet called The Devil and Daniel Webster and this illustrates this concept very well. Now I'm just showing you that this concept is known even to non-Jews that if you make a pact with the devil because you want to, to attain obviously wealth and great power which is really what that individual in the story wanted to attain then what happens of course is that after the pact uh, or after the uh, time limit that you have to attain these in this incredible wealth and power what happens of course is that your soul is sold to the devil to the Satan or the Sitra Akhra and of course what he wants to do to you is destroy you so he uses that pact, that agreement with you to destroy you and this uh, concept is very well illustrated by that short story called the devil and Daniel Webster also the famous story of Faust illustrates the same concept where this individual wanted to uh, enter an agreement with the devil the Sutton or Samuel, in order to achieve great wealth and power and, and uh, also tremendous good looks. Uh, ultimately, what happened to him, of course, is he also uh, was destined to be destroyed by the Sutton and Samuel. And uh, that story of Faust also illustrates, illustrates this. Now, uh, in other words, they illustrate the concept that the Sutton uses the agreement that you make with him solely to destroy you and for no other reason. Believe me, he doesn't or he's not interested in allowing you to achieve wealth or power or, or anything else you desire just to help you out. Of course, he's only interested in destroying you. The Sutton benefits no one but himself. That, he, that is why he is completely evil. And the definition of evil is the negation, the interference of being in any sense that you can imagine. And the sole idea, the sole purpose and desire of the Satan is evil. Which means that all he's interested in is to annihilate, destroy, obliterate all physical reality, all mankind. That is his entire desire. And even if he clings to you and grants you what you would like, that is only because the Rabbani Shalom decreed that if you meditate on certain Shema's Tumais, incantations, then he must attach himself to you and do what you wish. In other words, give you knowledge and information, of course, uh, um, and of course this is what he has to do as a result of your meditation on the Shema's Tumais. It is not because he wants to help you and benefit you. He's only interested in destroying you. But he uses this, of course, device, the fact that you want to employ 
his power to get enlightenment, knowledge, and uh, of course, uh, information, he uses that power, of course, to ultimately destroy you. It would seem, therefore, that it is for this reason that the Torah forbids the use of these shemes tumois, these incantations, to achieve uh, spiritual phenomena through the Sitra Achra. For ultimately, he clings to you and destroy you, destroys you. Not only that, but dvikus, or attachment, or clinging to the Sitra Achra, or to the Satan, is, is on the exact opposite end of dvikus to the Rabbanishlam. And this dvekus to the Sitra Achra is the greatest rihok, distance or separation that you can achieve from the Rabbani Shalom. In other words, the way a person is misrachic himself, distances or separates himself from God in the greatest possible manner or degree, is if he attaches himself to Samuel or the Satan. Dvekus to the Satan uh, is the exact opposite than Dvekas to the Rabbani Shalom, and it is the greatest possible separation and distance that you can achieve from God. Now, besides the state of attachment and the resulting experiences of pollution, information, and knowledge, one can also achieve other spiritual phenomena from the Sitra Akhra through the procedural method of meditation upon specific incantations or shemus tumus. The Sitra Akhra has the ability to issue forth a hashpah or influence with which he can accomplish things. This power is granted to him and given to him by the Rabbani Shlom, so that the Sitra Akhra, the Satan, may accomplish those functions for which he was created for. Thus we see from the fact that the Sitra Akhra himself can actually issue forth a divine hashpah, an influence, a spiritual causative force, we see that the counterpart of God on the Sitra de Kedusha, the side of holiness, is the Satan or Samuel himself. In other words, the only entity, the only being that we know that can issue or send forth a hashpur, a spiritual causative agent, is the Rabbani Shlam. We see now that Samuel or the Satan or the Sitra Akhra himself can also issue forth or send forth a hashpur, an influence, a spiritual causative agent. What this tells us, of course, is that the position that the Satan has in the Sitra de Tumor or the Sitra Akhra, the side of unholiness or impurity, corresponds to the position that God has in the Sitra de Kedusha, which of course is an incredible idea. This concept of having the king of all evil, the Satan or Samuel, being able to also send forth Hashpois, spiritual causative forces, to accomplish his tasks, his tasks completes the balance with perfect symmetry and equality. The balance of Sitra de Kedusha as opposed to Sitra Akron. Of course, it is from the power and authority of the Rabbani Shlom that the Satan derives his power and abilities, and not from 
Samuel's own inherent nature. That's important to realize. If the Rabbanishlam wishes to withdraw that power from the Satan and leave him totally and completely impotent and powerless, he can do so instantly. The Rabbanishlam desires, however, that the Satan be availed of this enormous power of being able to send forth a spiritual causative force. The Rabbanishlam desires that the Satan be granted this power and ability in order that he, the Satan, may carry out the function for which he was created in the best possible manner. And it is just with these powers and abilities that the Rabbanu Shalom judges that this can come to pass. So we see an incredible idea that the counterpart of the two sides that the universe encompasses, the Sitra Tikidusha, the side of holiness, and the Sitra Akhra, the side of impurity, we see that the counterpart at the highest level, where God, of course, is the highest being on the Sitra the Kedusha, the counterpart of God is the Sitra Akhra, is the Satan or Samuel himself. And um, it is this equality, even though they be in opposite directions, that is meant or revealed by the Pasuk and Koalas, which I had mentioned previously, that God created one opposite the other. That is why the Sitra Akhra, many times you see, is called Elohim Akhirim, other gods, because he actually occupies the position in his dominion, as God does in his dominion. But remember, it is God that gives the power and the abilities of the Satan or Samuel to exhibit this enormous power. And if God wants to remove it from the Satan, from Samuel, at any time, he can do so instantly. The ability and the power that the Satan has to issue forth hashboys or influences derives from the authority of God. The Satan is not equal, God forbid, to God himself, but he is merely an instrument or a tool that God uses, of course, to, to of course, uh, implement evil in creation that man can ultimately reject. But the Satan, of course, derives the power and ability from God himself. And, of course, uh, in certain other religions, for instance, in Zoroastrianism, you find the concept reverse, that God exists at the same level as the Satan or the devil himself, which of course is nonsense. And according to Judaism, it is completely uh, um, abhorrent. The Satan or Samuel is completely under the jurisdiction and power and authority of God himself. He cannot do anything that God does not allow him or that God does not permit him. He himself is absolutely nothing. It is by the power of God that the Satan or Samuel has this enormous power. And it is for the reason that the Rabbi Shalom knows. And this reason basically is that God sees that if the Satan has these abilities, then creation can best reach the Tikkunah Kloli in that manner. In any case, it is also possible that one can get the Sitra Akhra to send forth its hashpos in one's service 
through procedural through the procedural method of meditating upon various incantations. Thus, if one meditates upon certain incantations, shimis tumis, the sitra akra will issue forth a hashpor, a spiritual causative agent, of course, which is impure, that will push aside an angel that is in charge of a particular koyach. And now we begin to see what is the result of, uh, of enlisting the hashpos of the sitra akhra through the procedure of meditation. If one meditates upon certain incantations, the sitra akhra will issue forth a hashpor that will push aside the angel that is in charge of a particular koyach, or transcendental force. The sitra akhra then, through this hashpor, can change the normal operational pattern designated for this koyach to a special operational pattern chosen by the meditator. What results, of course, is a complete alteration of natural physical law to a phenomena which is clearly magic. And, of course, this phenomena where natural law and physical reality is altered through the hashpos of the sitra akhra, and not through the controlling mechanism of the Malach, this phenomenon is called, uh, or rather this phenomenon where the where natural law and physical reality is altered through the hashpos of the Sitra Akhra, taking over control of a Koyach, is called Kishif, or sorcery, or black magic. And it is called black magic because one performs this feat by enlisting the hashpos of the black being, namely the Sitra Akhra or Samuel. That's why it's called black magic, because you are using the hashpois of the Satan and not the hashpois of God. This is how the Egyptians, the Egyptian magicians, performed their incredible feats. They were masters of kishif or sorcery, and they knew the incantations and proper procedural techniques that had to be employed to bring about their magic feat. Now, it is interesting to note that both, that both Moshe Rabbeinu and the Egyptian magicians used the very same mechanism to bring about their alteration of natural law. In the case of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Hashpur was from the Rabbani Shlom, and he directed a Malach over a certain Koyach to change the normal operational pattern of that koyach to a special operational pattern. And this resulted in a ness or miracle being performed. In other words, there was an alteration of natural law or shinui teva. But since the Rabbani Shlom initiated the action, he initiated the hashpah that directed the malach to change the normal operational uh, pattern to a special operational pattern in a given koyach, this, of course, is a ness. Now, in the case of the Egyptian magicians, they, through various incantations and meditations, used the hashpos of the sitra akhra to push aside the controlling malach for a particular koyach, and to thus alter the normative operational pattern of that koyach to a special operational pattern, which resulted in the very same alteration of natural law and physical reality. Thus, they duplicated the miracles of Moshe Rabbeinu using the same dyadic structure or mechanism, 
but employing a different kind of hashpah, source, the Sitra Achra's hashpah, rather than the Rebbeinu Shlonim's hashpah, which was utilized by Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what the Egyptian magicians did. They interfered with physical reality in the same way that Moshe Rabbeinu did, except Moshe Rabbeinu used the hashpah from God. And that Ashpur directed the Malach to alter the normative operational pattern to a special operational pattern. And that, of course, resulted in a miracle, a Ness, which was, of course, one of the ten plagues. The Egyptian magicians used the same uh, device. They interfered in the same mechanism. They also got... The, they also changed the normative operational pattern of a koyach to a special operational pattern of that given koyach. And therefore what resulted was the duplication of the same miracle or the same alteration of natural law and physical reality that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to achieve. But what they used was not the hashpah of God. They instead used, of course, the hashpah of the Sitra Achra through the procedure of meditation on specific incantations or Shemus Tumor. And it's interesting to note that they were able to duplicate almost everything Moshe Rabbeinu did until the plague of Kinim Olais. When Moshe Rabbeinu, for instance, changed a staff into a snake, they did the same thing. When Moshe Rabbeinu changed water to blood, they did the same thing. When Moshe Rabbeinu brought forth Tzfardim, frogs, they did the same things. But when Moshe Rabbeinu got lice to cover the entire land of Egypt, they could not duplicate that device, that feat. Why? Because the Ashpur of the Sitra Achra is not able to control a Koyach that has its counterpart a being that is smaller than a grain of barley. That is the law or the restriction of the hashpah of the Sitra Achra in terms of the fact that uh, it cannot be done with that hashpah. So therefore the Egyptians could not duplicate that miracle because the hashpah of the Sitra Achra, even though it was able to push aside the malach that controls the koyach, of lice, they could not control or change the normal operative pattern uh, in the koyach to a special operational pattern of that given koyach that, of course, had a counterpart lice as, uh, as, as, as that which it represented. That, of course, then, of course, they realized that the hashpah that Moshe Rabbeinu is using is not the same as their hashpah because their hashpah, even though it can push away the malach of the koyach that represents lice, it cannot control the koyach that represents lice. It cannot control that koyach to change from a normal operational pattern to a special operational pattern and therefore lice cannot be controlled. They realize then that Moshe Rabbeinu has access not to the Hashpos of the Sitra Achra, but he has access to the Hashpos of God. Therefore, those Hashpos can do anything. Of course, they can direct the Malach to change 
the normal operational pattern to a special operational pattern in the Koyach that, of course, is the counterpart of lice. And that's exactly what Moshe Rabbeinu did. That's why after they could not duplicate the miracle of lice, it says in the Chumash that they saw it was the finger of God. And what do we use our hands for? To do things. Finger corresponds to Hashpos. That's why the term is the finger of God. In fact, we have ten fingers, right? We use our hands to do things for us. And we have ten fingers. And they correspond to the Hashpos of God, which are also ten, the ten spheres. Because God uses the ten spheres to also do things for Him, you see. So they saw it was the finger of God, which means that it was the Hashpo or sphere of God that was employed to actually control the, uh, the Koyach that had the counterpart of lice. Thus we see, therefore, that Nes or miracle, Shinoi Teva or magic, and Kish of black magic or sorcery all use the exact same mechanism to achieve their ends. They all alter the normative operational pattern of a given koyach to a special operational pattern of that same koyach to yield an alteration or deviation in physical reality and natural law. However, in the case of Nes and Shinui Teva, this is accomplished by a malach in charge of that koyach, making the change because of a hashpoh from the rabbinish Shlom ordering him to do so. In Nes, however, it is the rabbinish Shlom that initiates this hashpoh based on his desires, God's desires, whereas in magic or Shinui Teva, it is a man meditating upon a particular Shem that initiates the action, and the rabbinish Shlom issues the hashpoh based on the desires of the meditator. In the case of Kishuf, the normative operational pattern is changed to a special operational pattern of a particular koyach due to a hashpoh of the sitra achra and not through the controlling malach of that koyach or through the hashpoh of the rabbanishlam. We therefore see that nes or miracle, shinui teva or magic, white magic, and kishif, black magic or sorcery, uses the same dyadic structure, the same dyadic mechanism of physical reality. They both intervene in the koyach in order to alter physical law. They both get or in, they both implement a change in a koyach to change its normative operational pattern to a special operational pattern and thereby through that implementation of course they can achieve the result of alteration of natural law and alteration of physical reality but the way they bring about this change is different Nes and Shinoi Teva bring about this change, this implementation through the Hashpos of the Rabbanish Lulam and Nes brings about the implementation through the initiation of God himself Whereas Shinoi Teva brings about this implementation of change through the Hashpos of the Rabbanu Shlom, but at the instigation or the initiation of an individual meditating upon Hashem. However, um, 
Kishuf or sorcery or black magic also implements a change in the Koyach to achieve the same result of alteration of natural law in physical reality. In other words, it also implements a change in the Koyach, but not through the Hashpos of the Rabban Shalom, but the Hashpos of the Situr Achra pushes aside the Malach that controls the Koyach normally, and the Hashpos itself then implements the change in that Koyach, and of course the resulting change yields, uh, of course, a total alteration or deviation of natural law in physical reality. And of course, we see this as the phenomena of sorcery, black magic or kishuf.